Elaine Duncan, welcome to Geological. Thank you so much. I'm always looking forward to these conversations. I can't believe how lucky I am. Every week, I get to talk to someone interesting about an aspect of Chinese medicine that I didn't really know much about. You have recently written a book, The Tao of Trauma. It seems like there's been a lot of stuff coming out lately on trauma. I'm, I'm curious to begin with here. Mm-hmm. What took you down this path? I mean, the path of not so much Chinese medicine, but the path of this interest in trauma and working with this. Yeah. Back in uh, 2003, I was driving my car and listening to the radio, and Amy Goodman interviewed the parents of Lance Corporal Jeffrey Lucy on uh, on her program. And he had come home from Iraq and a year later had committed suicide in their basement. And these parents were the most loving, attentive, caring parents that any young soldier could have asked for. And uh, his dad was a nurse, his mom was a social worker, and he was getting care from the VA, and all should have been fine. But uh, it wasn't. He couldn't live with what he had seen and what he'd been asked to do. And uh, at that time, my children were about the age that he was, and uh, all their friends came through my house, and my heart just bled for these parents and these young people. And so I said, acupuncture could do something for this young man and could have done something for his family. So I, I kind of got a, um, a passion for um, responding to trauma. And it turned out that the Somatic Experiencing Trauma Training Institute was the only institution that would train both mental health providers and acupuncturists and massage therapists in an approach to trauma resolution. So I brought the Somatic Experiencing Training to the Washington, D.C. area, and we've um, been training people ever since. Wow. So you had this experience, goes right through you. I mean, gosh, you got kids that age, right? Right. And you knew acupuncture could help. I'm guessing you didn't quite know how it was going to help. It, it kind of set you off on a path of inquiry. It, exactly. I mean, I, I had no familiarity with military culture. Um, I'd been in practice for like 15 years at that point, I was an experienced provider. I was director of a healing center. Mm-hmm. I, I knew a lot of people, but I was intimidated by uh, military culture and by, you know, these big burly guys who were coming home, you know, from, from military service. And I needed to feel more comfortable. Uh, I needed some training. Yeah. So Somatic Institute. Somatic Experiencing. I'm sorry, Somatic Experiencing. I love that phrase, Somatic Experiencing. Tell us more about that. Well, this, this fellow named Peter Levine, it was the start, was the initiator. And um, he studied animal predator-prey relationships um, and was able to look at the phases that all animals go through in their response to danger. And he named five steps. And um, early on in my training, I looked at those five steps and I said, oh my goodness, those five steps mirror the five phases, the five elements of acupuncture and Asian medicine. Isn't this fascinating? Isn't that curious? Isn't that curious? Yeah. So, you know, since I finished that training in 2007 and then continued to do some post-certification training, integrating touch and integrating understanding of developmental trauma, and it just got deeper and deeper that if both mental health providers and acupuncturists could understand something of the correspondences of the five elements, it would help them fine tune their interventions with a survivor. Absolutely. Um, well, and, and it's interesting too, because 
as an acupuncturist, you're coming at it, you five phases, you're, you're quite fluent in that. You see these five responses to trauma. We know from working with the five phases that if you've got flow from one to another, mm-hmm. the system will restore itself. That's right. Right. The, the system will restore itself. That's it's how we're built. That's right. And so I'd love to hear more about these sort of somatic experience five phases. I mean, we'll get into the acupuncture piece here in, in a little bit, but give us some background here on the somatic side. Sure. So Peter Levine also said that if a person manages to get through all those five phases successfully, that they won't have symptoms of trauma. And that if a person is thwarted in a particular phase, that it's somewhat predictable the kinds of symptoms or presentation that they'll have later. So the goal of somatic experiencing is to help people complete thwarted responses. So for example, if someone was thwarted in the mobilization phase, the fight or flight phase, Mm -hmm. They weren't allowed to complete that that punch, you know, or to run fast enough to escape. They tripped instead of getting across the street, escaping from a, a car driving too fast. That experience of thwarted will remain in their muscle tissue. Their tendons and ligaments will be impacted because their joints weren't able to affect either the fight or the flight. So we know from acupuncture nation medicine, that mobilization belongs to the wood element, Mm -hmm. that the ligaments and tendons are the associated tissue, that anger is the associated emotion, and that, you know, that it's, um, its key feature is movement, you know. So we, if we can figure out that a person's trauma is based in an incomplete mobilization response, then we can work with their tendons and ligaments. We can look at their orientation system in their eyes. We can look work with their liver blood um, that carries the, the vibration of trauma. You know, we can look at, at all these associated tissues and actually be quite, we, we have a powerful system of, of medicine that can offer so much more um, to survivors. Yeah, this, this is fascinating that in the somatic experiencing, in that mobilization phase, they associate it with the lig- ligaments and tendons. Actually, they don't. I they do. don't. You do. Okay. Right. So I took, you know, I took their five steps and kind of looked at them. That's the other benefit of integrating Western neurophysiology with acupuncture and Asian medicine is because we get the best of both worlds. Right. So you're right. They don't understand that the ligaments and tendons are the the tissue to to go towards mm-hmm. if someone has an incomplete thwarted. But we do. But we do. So we can inform mental health providers, body workers, and acupuncturists to help guide them to offer more individualized care. Yeah. Uh, briefly take us around the circle, the somatic experiencing circle. Sure. From like the first moment you go, uh-oh, to the moment where you like reintegrate Exactly. Okay. And I've renamed the steps that Peter Levine named to kind of fit with the five elements, but their essential nature is the same. Mm -hmm. So the first step I call awakening arousal. So that's when you hear the twig snap and your 
you you kind of you know maybe the hair in the back of your neck stands up mm. maybe your guts go mm, what's happening this belongs to the metal element and the function of the po the animal soul that gives us our sensate experience so we wake up our sensate experience to something new in the environment so we need to have the capability of recognizing something new in the environment as a survival skill if we don't recognize the blocks on the floor we're going to trip you know, so we need to be able to recognize something new in the environment, and that's the gift of the metal. Then we flow into the water element, whose task is to signal threat. The, the adrenal gland sits right on top of the kidney, and um, there's a fascial uh, bonding between the two of them. I, I lump them together as, as a functional unit, kidney and adrenal, and it goes... <laughs> You know, it, it clutches mm -hmm. and that, we all know that feeling. yeah, and that stimulates the adrenal gland. So this is the integration east and west mm -hmm. to secrete all those chemicals that indicate to the system that there's some, there's a threat. There's a threat. It does two things. First, the, the kidney will send a message up to the pericardium, to the fire and um, seek relationship, seek a, um, uh, a tribe that will respond to the, th to, to help respond to the threat. So, you know, if we're in a, in a room in a, with a group, we might all look to where we hear that sound. And then one person says, I'll check the boiler. And someone else says, I'll check the children. And somebody else says, I'll call the fire department or, you know, what, like we work together. Mm -hmm. That's if we have an intact pericardium, if we have an intact capacity for relationship, N not all of us do. And if that relationship was not available to us because of previous trauma or the threat is an overwhelming threat, like an earthquake or a tornado where no amount of relationship is going to help us survive, then the, the heart gets penetrated. So the heart, the supreme controller, actually should not, should sit in the center of the kingdom peacefully. It shouldn't mm -hmm. get penetrated. It doesn't want its chamber to be touched. If it gets touched, then it sends this powerful, alarming uh, command. So the kidney signals the threat, but the heart commands response. So the, the heart sends this message out with its big pounding heartbeat to the whole kingdom of the body, to every, every cell instantaneously. Everybody's on deck, all alarm bells are ringing. It then empowers the kidney to send energy up to the liver for the mobilization response. So that's when we mobilize a response. We mobilize our, our fight or our flight. With that mobilization comes a message to the spleen and the stomach, to the viscera, mm -hmm. to shut down digestion temporarily. There's the cause cycle of the wood shutting down the, uh, the earth. Li liver invading the spleen, you mm -hmm. know, it's a common thing. And we also have the cause cycle in that kidney heart connection. Mm -hmm. happening. So um, in an ideal world, the, the liver is able to mobilize a successful response. We experience completion. And that experience of completion comes up in the fire. Uh, the, the fire element restores coherence. Mm -hmm. the, the heart comes back to a regular beat. It sends the message to the kingdom, equilibrium, equanimity, all is well. Uh, we're complete. Some people don't realize that they've survived their their trauma. Their heart hasn't registered that
that it's done now. So that's kind of the manifestation of someone who's been thwarted in that experience. Once the heart can signal the kingdom that everything is okay, then we come around to the earth element. I call that digesting the gristle. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. no matter how successful our response was, there's still gristle to digest from these experiences. We still need to integrate the lessons, harvest the lessons, and digest and break down the experience. If we're unable to digest the lessons, then we don't learn the experience. Don't put your hand on the hot stove. Don't look both ways when you cross the street. All those things that we sum up through through life that help us navigate a, a future similar circumstance makes us more resilient makes us more resilient so each one of these steps are actually capacities necessary capacities for survival yeah absolutely well and it occurs to me i mean we hear a lot about ptsd it's in the news i mean gosh we've been at war forever now it seems right so we've got so many people coming back and you know it's very much in the culture in so many different ways and yet i've also noticed that there are people that i've run into in my practice who they go through something horrible. They go through something terrible. Mm -hmm. They don't come out with with post-traumatic stress disorder. They come out with post-traumatic learning. They come out with post-traumatic resiliency. They somehow come out stronger. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes people have these experiences. They end up stronger and more resilient. I suspect that's because they've gone all the way through the cycle. They've gotten to digesting the gristle, and it makes them more viable. The, the other thing that happens when, absolutely, you're right. And um, I tell people that um, you will become a bigger person for having gone through this than someone who doesn't go through this. If you do, you know, if we can get you through this whole cycle. And the other, the other benefit of getting through Uh, the digest the gristle phase is then you come back to the awakening arousal phase and you're able to notice something new in the environment again, because you're not encumbered Mm. by this memory that's so gripping, you know, that you can't notice something new. So the metal ends up being the place where it's both the beginning and the end Mm -hmm. of the cycle. It links, it's like the snake that eats its tail. It's, it's the thing that, that links it all. And, you know, what we want is expanded resiliency. We want people to be able to cope in a wider zone of comfort um, and manage because we can't, we can't prevent trauma from happening. No, not in this life, not in this world, not in this world, not, not in any world, you know, it's, it's, it's part of life to navigate complexity. So, what we want is greater capacity to navigate complexity. I just, I just have to take a moment and write that down. <laughs> Part of life to navigate complexity. Oh, yeah, man. don't you think? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, it's not about avoiding the difficulties. It's about being able to sort of bring our measure up. That's right. To those challenges. All right. So, the somatic experiencing sounds super helpful. It's really super helpful. It's really super helpful. Um, and, and, you know, like in my first 
my first module of the training, you know, they talked about sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system and this movement between two opposing poles that are united yet connected. And I went, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I heard of that. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. They're not opposite. There's they're they're sides of a coin. Right. And one flows into the other. That's right. 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 Yeah. So, This gets into when we're talking about sympathetic, parasympathetic. I mean, there's a lot going on here with the uh, with the vagus nerve, and and in your book, I mean, I've heard of the vagus nerve. I mean, the vagus nerve is kind of I don't know. It's kind of popular these days. It shows up in lots of different places, and and uh, I don't want to say alternative medicine, but you know, like mm-hmm. whatever the medicine is that we do, non mainstream seems to be showing up and even in maybe in mainstream to some degree. But in your book, you talk about that there's actually not just a vagal response, there's a polyvagal response. Right, right. This is the work of Stephen Porges, who um, probably has done more to help um, help us understand pre and perinatal trauma and provide science for new clinical approaches to resolving trauma. He's a fabulously wonderful um, research scientist. And what he says is that um, we have two vagus nerves, two branches of the same vagus nerve, the dorsal vagus that emerges in the back of the brainstem and the ventral vagus that emerges at the front. The ventral vagus innervates the heart and the lungs. It's essentially Mm -hmm. the shen. It's essentially the function of the heart. It has tangential uh, branches that bring the sparkle to the eye give nuanced facial expression, allow us to, to interpret kindness or, or, uh, uh, or misunderstand, allows us to, to understand facial expression in another person. So it allows connection through these subtle interpersonal capacities. So its job is in that early first aspect of, of stress when the kidney alerts the pericardium. Mm-hmm. It's essentially alerting the ventral vagus nerve to, can we achieve relationship here? Can we use diplomacy to resolve this conflict? Can we use relationship and our, our voice and our, our, our capacity for connection to resolve the conflict with our coworker who keeps stealing our pens? If we can't, so and, and that stimulates the heart to start sending its message. So if we can't, the heart goes into this state of arousal and it will beat itself silly to command the body to respond because there's a, there's a life threat. You know, there's an experience of life threat. So the heart pounds and pounds and pounds and pounds and pounds and commands the body respond, 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 respond. But at a certain point, the heart is beating so fast that it's going to turn into its opposite. It's going to kill the heart. So the, the heart has to be shut down the ventral vagus has not been able to use a relationship-based approach to resolve the, the conflict. And so the dorsal vagus, which is clumsy, slower, unmyelated, but mm-hmm. very commanding, comes into action and does a dramatic shutdown uh, to, to the heart and also to the mobilization response. So it's the dorsal vagus that initiates the freeze uh-huh. So we got fight, flight, I and mean, we all hear about fight and flight, and then there's freeze. So the dorsal, so if there's too much going on in fight and flight and we can't resolve it, 
and we're going to blow up our heart. That's right. The dorsal vagus comes in and just shuts the whole thing down. Play possum, play dead. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And the tricky thing is that if we're an infant, then we can't run and we can't fight. We're not developmentally prepared for that. So if we experience arousal as an infant through a complicated birth or, um, or, or some other tragedy, early surgery, um, you know, all this stuff that's loss of a parent, um, drug addiction, violence in the home, all those kinds of things, the baby won't have a ventral vagus to, to help mitigate the threat. All it can use is a dorsal vagus. So the dorsal vagus requires that shutdown that leaves the liver invading the spleen habituated. So we end up having not very good function for transforming experiences, digesting food, um, supporting uh, all those functions of the, the visceral brain that include creation of neurotransmitters and the gut biome and you know all those things that are so important for both mental health and physical health, which contributes to autoimmune illness, obesity, drug addiction, um, pain patterns, all, all the things that people come to acupuncture for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots the, of times. The strange, rare, and peculiar. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're all associated with high tone in the dorsal vagus and um, and, and early trauma. Many of them are right. associated with. W- would these people, when you look at them, tend to have a flat affect? I mean, it's like you look at them, you interact with them, and it's like you're going through a fog, you're going through a shield. There's something, the, the little micro movements that you would usually catch in someone whose shen is clear aren't there. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah. This is this is what you'd see. So it's it'll show up in two ways. One way is exactly as you described with kind of a really flat hypo arousal. And the other is a really hyper arousal, you know, where they're angry all the time. They're going to bust through doors without checking the for the hand, for the lock, you know. They're they're you know they're they've got a rigid body shape and 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 a rigid emotional presentation as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's a yin aspect and a yang aspect. Always a duality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I I've been reading your book in preparation for our conversation mm-hmm. today. And the other day, I had someone come into my clinic, and I was instantly confused by them. Uh-huh. Because on, on one hand, they had these like very clear, bright eyes. On the other hand, the face was just like a mask. Yeah. And yeah. they weren't even sure why they were in my office. Uh-huh. It's, like, it's like, you know, what can I do for you? Well, you know, I think I'm here for cupping. And and I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, you think you're here for cupping? It's like, right. well, how can I help you? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And, yeah. and there, was, there was some unclarity about that. And, but the, the thing that I, that I noticed, first of all, was just barely in even touching this person, there was this incredible startle response. And it got me to thinking, man, am I glad that I read this book? Because I think I'm dealing here with someone who has had some kind of trauma and I should probably go super slow and super gentle. I'm so glad you said that. Um, this is one of the uh, an additional gift from the somatic experiencing model. The the term they use is titration. Mm. That we we need to titrate our treatment um, uh, uh, plans 
with someone who has this level of dysregulation in their nervous system. Yes. Well, well let me tell you how much I was dysregulated. I did just a, a little bit super general acupuncture, mm -hmm. very settling. And because she asked for cupping, I did a little, right? Uh -huh. And and usually I'll put a little oil on the back and I'll just do a few sliding cups just 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 to kind of say hello, right? I put a cup on, slid it down, and it it I mean she just like writhes on the table, and I'm thinking, ooh, let's slow it down even more. So super gentle cupping, not much. Send her home. Day later, I get a phone call. I'm feeling really sick, like I've got the flu. Could this be from the acupuncture? And my first thought, because of of who she was, I was thinking, yep, it could be. But before I could call her back, I was busy with clinic. I call her back later that evening. She goes, thank you for calling. Yes, it's the flu. I went to my doctor. They checked me. I had the flu. And I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe. It, well, no, I mean, you do have the flu, uh -huh. right? I mean, they found the flu virus and I'm thinking now, how did that happen? There's not much flu running around here right now. It's springtime. Mm -hmm. And and I was just thinking this, I think this is a manifestation of how when you overtreat somebody, the body becomes vulnerable in so many ways that something like a flu during the height of spring, how rare is that, can actually show up. Yeah. I think that the conundrum for our acupuncturists is that so many of these people come to us because we have very subtle medicine that can respond to things like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, autoimmune illness, all these kinds of things that trauma survivors manifest. But our training doesn't really include understanding the neurology of traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. And so, and trauma tends to be hard to access and disturbing to normal physiology. So the things that we're trained to see and, and understand and respond to don't always work with trauma survivors. And it's easy for us to either over-treat, give them too much, or miss entirely and under-treat and not, not really ever access the, the core issue that's going on with a person. They typically will have a million kinds of different kinds of symptoms in every, every element, every organ. And, you know, how to choose how to work in a titrated way that's primarily focused on restoring regulation to the whole system, as opposed to responding to this particular sy symptom. Um, yes. Our, our job really needs to be to focus on core regulation. What are some of the tip-offs for you that someone's had a trauma and and this is really the place to begin with them? I mean, I, I get if someone's been in war, yeah, we're, we're pretty easy. We're probably dealing with this. But for people like the patient I saw, I think patients that we all see, we may not know that there's this disturbance in the system that's dysregulated things maybe for decades. And what are some of the clues that we can watch for to go, oh, maybe, let's, let's look further? Yeah, the primary thing, and your question has me kind of going in a lot of different places. Like I would look for symptoms like autoimmune illness, chronic pain, obesity, 
irritable bowel syndrome, migraine headaches, chronic fatigue, cardiac disturbance, insomnia, which is essentially 90% of our patients, right? Yes, I was just thinking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that, that we can make an assumption virtually that people who come to us have some piece of trauma, varying degrees. Like, like for instance, I don't like the term PTSD because it's it, there's some sort of finality, like it's a disorder, you know? I prefer trauma spectrum response. So there's a spectrum to how we respond to these experiences. There's a range. Some of us have this much, some of us have have that much. Yes, and, and actually that response, the response is the solution. Exactly. Not response. having a response is a big problem. Having the response is a solution. The question is, do we get stuck somewhere in that response? Perfectly said. Mm. Perfectly said. So um, I, I don't do a whole lot of inquiry about story because the story can be reactivating, mm-hmm. re-stimulating to mm-hmm. a person. I will spend a lot of time early in treatment doing what I call the, the kidney adrenal hold, which is sliding my hand under their low back and simply giving some attention to the kidney so that signaling center that's there has a chance to relax, rest, and stop signaling, stop stop the adrenaline from flowing through their system, or at least slow it down. Once that signaling center is a little more comfortable, then the rest of the system, I mean, the kidney is the root of all yin and all yang, right? So- so, so, we, so they say. So they say. So if we can bring the kidney into some regulation there, then the other, the and, and over time, I'm going to see which element is really the primary element, which phase of the threat response is the primary thwart. They're usually the same. And and I can use some needles, simple treatments, command points, it, along with my kidney adrenal hold and help people begin to restore some sense of regulation by removing the the signaling for threat or by mitigating the signal for threat. So you use a fair amount of touch in this work. I use a lot of touch in this work because a lot of our patients will come for acupuncture, but their body is either so braced and tight that when we insert a needle, it's very painful mm-hmm. and um, can create more arousal, more hyperarousal, and increase of symptoms. My patient the other day that I was just talking about, I put one needle in and it was like, oops, no. Right. That happens or the reverse happens. Person can have such a such low tone in mm-hmm. their tissues that you needle and needle and needle and it's like going into butter and nothing changes on their pulses and nothing changes on their in their symptoms. I, we've all had this experience. Yeah. I, I discovered that when I first started, I worked at the Veterans Administration for 10 years. And when I first started working with soldiers, it was like, why are they not feeling this point? Mm-hmm. Why, why are they not? Why is nothing changing on their pulse? And I realized that I needed to prepare the patient to receive the needle. So touch is such a powerful human longing for safe touch. Well, it's part of that relationship piece, right? It's part of that. It's part of that ventral vagus relationship yeah, piece. Yeah, there we go. I mean, very intimate, beyond words, connected to the community. Yeah, connected to someone. Mm-hmm. So I really use uh, some of these touch approaches as well as some interaction approaches of like how do I how do I make my inquiry of my patient 
to help prepare them to receive the needle so that their their system is has moved towards regulation before I um, before I uh, insert a needle. Tell us a little more how you prepare them. I mean, I, we talked about the kidney hold. Mm-hmm. The kidney hold is a big way. Yeah. But a, a question like, how would you like to feel when you leave here today? What What's it like when you feel that way? When you feel the most like your true self, where are you? What are you doing? What percentage of you is present here? Just be with that 20%. Don't worry about the rest. Just be with that 20%. So you're really focusing their attention. That's right. On, on a kind of a feeling state within themselves. Exactly. Because one of the things that there's this concept that um, Stephen Porges uses called interoception. It's essentially the PO. It's essentially our mm-hmm. awareness of sensation. That awareness of sensation leaves in a threat experience. Like the freeze response tells us to not think about that our hand is underneath a rock, <laughs> you know, and we can't feel it. So in blocking the sensation of the threat, we actually can't discriminate about what other things we're also going to block. So there are people who experience early trauma whose interoception is both so damaged that they may not recognize when they're hungry. They may not recognize when they're cold. They may not recognize that this person is, they'll make mistakes about the messages from their gut that says this person is safe, this person is not safe, that I knew it in my gut's expression is is unreliable. So the more we can help them restore their capacity for interoception, we're inviting their chi to return to their body. Yep, absolutely. Along with their awareness. So the dorsal vagal, Mm-hmm. response mm-hmm. It, it has to do with dissociation doesn't it yeah i mean there's different words dissociation is kind of the word that mental health providers use collapse is another word it's a more physiological state um that they're very related to each other <laughs> yeah i mean just i mean you use the uh, example of your hands trapped under a rock you can't feel it and dorsal vagal comes in and, and you disassociate from it because mm-hmm. if right. you, because if you were to stay connected to my hand under is under a rock, I'm trapped. You could scare yourself to death. That's right. Or you've, you know, you've experienced early, early trauma with a, with a caregiver, mm-hmm. you know, at a certain point you want to not feel what's happening to you. It's not safe for you to feel it because if you feel it, your heart's going to go into that hyper arousal that will kill your heart. Yeah. You well, know, so- and, and if you're powerless, then... And if you're powerless, it's just better to not be there. Mm-hmm. So it's a management strategy that's very helpful and useful and has a bad rap. <laughs> we want to appreciate it and take people out of it there in a really titrated way. Because if you invite awareness too quickly and, and, and too much, they'll be overwhelmed by the memory of why they had to use that management strategy. Right. Well, you know, I'm thinking about... Uh... You know, when I was a kid, you know, the moonshot was the big thing, right? Right. All us kids were like really into, you know, man on the moon. And, you know, it, there was always that moment where they're coming back, they're coming into the atmosphere. You've got to get it at just the right angle so you don't skip off the atmosphere and not, you know, too acute of an angle or you burn up, right? There's this, there's this way to go that you, you know, you slide in. That's right. Yeah. It's very similar. Uh-huh. Find the sweet spot. Yep. Find the sweet mm-hmm. spot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cultivate safety, 
cultivate relationship. And I suspect, you know, because we're acupuncturists, we have all these extra ways of attending to this. I mean, first of all, we actually talk to our patients. That's right. Right. So that's helpful. I would think you'd be able to feel lots of this in the pulse or just, you know, you just put your hands on people. You can, you can feel that hypo or hyper tonicity. Mm-hmm. That's right. The other thing that I do, well, there's a couple things. One is I don't ask people to get undressed unless I need to get to a point that's underneath their clothing. And I usually don't choose those points early on in treatment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because we're actually asking people to be immobilized and safe. When we take their clothes from them, they're essentially immobilized and we're asking them to feel safe when they, when they're immobilized. If people didn't have experiences of being cuddled and held and, and tickled and played with as a child in a playful, loving way where they got to experience feeling safe when they were immobilized, they'll have trouble as an adult feeling Mm -hmm. immobilized and safe. So that's one thing I, I, I do. Um, and I, um, the other is in my needling technique, I'll use the guide tube to palpate say, um, kidney six and kidney three. Mm -hmm. And I'll say their, their functions are fairly similar. I'll say, which one feels best? Which one feels the most useful? And I let them choose the point. And then I'll say, I'll, I'll hold the guide tube again against the point that they chose. And I'll say, you tell me when the point is ready for the needle. Or you tell me when you're ready. So I put them in charge as much as I can. Because here we are, you know, with good intentions. Yes. We help people who've experienced threat. And what do we do? We use sharp objects and we burn moxa on them. Yeah. Pin them down to the table. Pin them down to the table. Take their pants, you know. <laughs> Take the <laughs> pants and pin them down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, we want people to be in their reg- as moving towards their regulated zone when we stimulate a point because we want the point to stimulate them to move towards more regulation. We don't want them moving out of their zone and into, into go ahead, do it anyway, you know. Uh, it's not helpful. So, I mean, as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking about, you know, the, the patients I have with the digestive issues, you know, the irritable bowel. That's always a fun one. Irritable it's a classic. bowel. Yeah. Classic. So, irritable bowel basically means there's probably some unresolved trauma that's going on in the, well, I mean, often we will call it a liver spleen pattern or a right. wood mm-hmm. earth pattern. Mm-hmm. And so, good place to consider starting with someone like that would be in that, in that response mode and helping to get them to move through that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that response mode, that liver spleen spleen dynamic starts with a message in the kidney. So we're back to kidney again. Right. So, you know, the, 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 the threat response comes up to the mobilization response, mobilization goes over to the spleen and shuts it down the high tone in the spleen then comes back down and and suppresses the kidney. So you got that triangle going on between water, wood, earth, water, wood, earth. Mm-hmm. And the whole, it's a whole system. And the wood is left out of it. And the wood is left out of it. The wood is but the wood needs to, needs to back off, but it isn't going to back off until it feels safe, until it knows that it doesn't have to mobilize a response. So you would start with the kidney on this, just to kind of get them. Tell us a little more about how you would bring that liver back online, so to speak, how you would help it to move all the way through the 
the motion that it could not complete. Right. So with like with like this person who this imaginary person with irritable bowel syndrome, I'm going to use my other diagnostic skills like color, sound, odor, and emotion that's taught in the five element approach. And I'm going to start out. So maybe their constitutional type is wood. So I might put and and their pulse indicates that there's um, uh, liver cheese stagnation and that there's dampness in the spleen. Oddly enough. Oddly enough. <laughs> um, so I might, in that case, use spleen six and nine to um, help lift off some of the dampness. Mm-hmm. And I might use liver three and gallbladder 40 to help soothe the stagnation. And, and I might put my hand underneath their kidney, their kidney, do the kidney adrenal hold while those needles are in place. So I've integrated my constitutional diagnosis, my patterns diagnosis, and my trauma uh, resolution model. All three of those together. And then you additionally get this phenomenal feedback loop because you've got your hands on them. Mm -hmm. And so as their body changes, you'll feel it. And I'll invite them to feel it. So they may notice sensations that move down certain meridian pathways. Like I feel a tingle moving down my leg, you know, or they may feel their guts. You, you may notice peristalsis in their guts. Like there's some gurgling. You know, we get this all the time. I, I know on my table, at least 70% of the time, I put a few needles in and you get that glue, 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 glue in the stomach and people apologize, Right. generally speaking. And I'm thinking, booyah. Well, and when you're saying, booyah, what you're really saying is, the freeze in their dorsal vagus system is being lifted off to allow peristalsis mm -hmm. to allow this person to digest not only their food, but also to digest their life experiences. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So important to invite people to uh, not brace against anything. So I will tell people we're not at a social engagement. I will love your farts. You know, <laughs> I will, I will love your belches. I will celebrate every single one of them because we want to have movement to be restored in that whole system from mouth to butt right yeah so often people it seems when when the stomach gurgles they think there's something wrong with them yeah and yeah. and i will always take that and reframe it and go actually this is something that's right with you this is your digestion right. coming back online things move through the intestines this is how you know your intestines are working and, and even a, a simple reframe like that can really shift people because something that they've that they've been embarrassed about mm -hmm. or they think is wrong with them, they suddenly come to find out is something that's right with them. That's right. And even your system has had to brace against so much in life. We want this place to be a place where you don't need to brace mm -hmm. against any movement. We want to invite movement is life. We want we want to have movement. I want to shift to something this this is more in the heart portion in your book you talk about coherence yes which i, I think is a lovely word it's something that I, I tend to think a lot about there's this there's a great character in chinese called li mm -hmm. which it's a little tricky to translate but often it will be you could translate it as principle but it's also the Lee is like the 
patterning in wood, or it's like the patterning in a stone, or the patterning in the fascia of the human body. It's this, it's this kind of, it shows you the structure of something yeah. and how it's put together. And it can also be considered coherence that when something, when you touch that structure of what something is, that actual true grain, so to speak, mm-hmm. that it's like the system comes to know itself. Oh, I'm this. That's right. That's right. So I'd like to hear a bit more. I mean, that's just my little riff on Lee. It's it's something in the back of my mind. I'd love to hear more about your sense of coherence. I, I, this is this is just such a juicy idea for me. Mm-hmm. So I've taken a lot of my thoughts about coherence from the Heart Math Institute, mm. and what they say, and what seems to be consistent with Chinese medicine too, is that the heart is a great communicator. That it's there's a, a, a magnetic resonance. That's, that's in the heart that communicates to all the organs of the body, just like we say the Supreme Controller is in charge of all the other organs. But it also communicates to other people, like heart math people will say that when the heart is coherent, the people in a six to eight foot radius will experience that coherence and it will be regulating for them as well. So when you pluck one violin string, it actually causes the string next to us to vibrate. So w- our, our task is to be a regulated vibration because our coherence will help create coherence in our client. And when we send a client back out into the world with a more coherent, regulated system, the person, if they have a sleeping partner who lays next to them for seven or eight hours at night, they will actually experience the coherence, will communicate to them all night long. So this is the, the vibrational quality where our work is world work. Yes. Where helping to create coherence in one person helps create coherence in their family, in their workplace, in their community. And it makes this cultivating the capacity of the ventral vagus system, cultivating capacity of coherence in the, in the heart, the communication of the Shen. It's really its foundation. It's the foundation for creating peace in the world. Well, one of the other things that strikes me from this conversation and and, and reading your book as well is the role of the social environment, both in the creation of trauma or non-creation of trauma. You can have a very terrible thing happen and, and be in a very held social condition and move very rapidly through the entire sequence. Um, or like you were saying when the kidney first gets stirred, the first thing that happens is what's in my environment, my social environment that can be supportive or helpful to me, or maybe me be supportive to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually think that tra- trauma is a foundation for so many of the health disparities in our world. There's this concept called epigenetics, which which basically says that if I have you know a, a major trauma experience that it can create epigenetic changes in my jing mm-hmm. and that my children and down to three generations can be impacted. So sometimes a patient will come into our office and it's, it's really their dysregulation is not about their life. It's about their parents' life or their grandparents. Right. Well, I mean, you hear people say it all the time. Oh, this runs in my family. That's right. So is it genetics or is it epigenetics? You know, is it inherited or is it um, the epigenetic vibration. 
So you look at disparities, for example, in African-American community, where there's been 400 years of horrible things that have happened to people, epigenetics in amongst uh, Holocaust survivors and, and their um, children and grandchildren. I mean, there's wonderful Western research that's drawing this out and helping us understand the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study at the Center for Disease Control is really worth looking at for those of you who are interested in long-term impact of early childhood trauma. And this, I think this interface of trauma and race is really an important place for people working with trauma survivors to really study and and investigate and explore. Uh, again, this this comes from your book. It's it, it's a fascinating read. I um, I'm I'm not trying to plug. I don't plug things on the podcast, but you know, on occasion, I do read something, and it's it. I mean, it really lands. And how do I know it lands? Because I walk into my clinic and I'm thinking differently, and I'm looking differently, and I'm behaving a little bit differently. Great. Yeah, it's 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 really been fun. And the piece about the coherence is, I, I just think that's so key. I just find it happening in my practice all the time that when people settle in to who they are without too much resistance, things change and they become way more capable. With the coherence, you know, people fall into that coherence. They take it back out into the world, right? They share it. They um pass it along. Now, isn't there an opposite piece of this, which is limbic resonance that, or is this part of limbic resonance? I remember looking at this in your book that there's also something that comes from our limbic system that gets transmitted. So when you say limbic system, you're talking about the affect um, communication between two people. I you know, I'm I'm trying to understand this better myself. I remember reading it in the book that that there is this um, thing about limbic resonance, and and is this the same thing as the heart resonance that we're talking about? It is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we're in a state of resonant attunement, mm -hmm. you know, with another person, then we can all let our our arousal state kind of go down. And I suspect this is why if someone is, you know, their their nervous system's kind of jacked up, if they're around other people where this is happening as well, I mean, it can very quickly go into some kind of a runaway situation. Well, the, the really great thing is that coherence always wins out. Uh -huh. So, so um, regulation creates more regulation in other people more strongly than dysregulation creates dysregulation. Isn't that good to know? That I was just thinking that's super reassuring. Yeah, I could see you exhale, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Any idea why that's the case? Uh, it's how we're made. Just the way we're built. Yep. So we're built for regulation. We're built, we're built for, for regulation. And we're built, in a sense, to be able to calm each other. That's right. Well... We're built to arouse each other as well as calm each other. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you see a, um, a herd of sheep, for example, there'll be one that has its head up in the air and its job is to look for threats. And when it experiences a threat, it communicates that at a vibrational level with the whole herd and they take off running. So humans have that same capacity and actually that function of signaling threat is 
both about our capacity to receive a message of threat as well as transmit one. Mm-hmm. So you, you know how, why it's it's illegal to shout fire in a movie theater because threat is so such a commanding um, experience and it will consume the nervous system every, of, of everyone, <laughs> you know, in the movie theater. And, and, and it's unethical to create, to create threat in that way. I'm, I'm struck here and in my mind goes to like social media and, and just the way that people communicate these days. And, and I'm thinking when we're face to face, you know, sort of heart to heart, when we're in each other's space in a physical way, those kinds of creating coherence or creating discoherence, mm-hmm. it's more regulated. It goes a little bit slower. We've got way more channels of communication going than just hearing or seeing. And in our in our social media enhanced world, we've cut off from some of those feedback mechanisms, including that heart resonance that we were just talking about. And so without that governor there, I could see how it'd be very easy for, you know, any of us to get into, you know, a flame war or, you know, big kinds of, you know, troubles and arguments that that are so common on the social right. media platforms. Right, right. And some of it I think gets promoted um, because the the more that we're in our brainstem and in our more primitive fear response, that command in the brainstem will actually take our frontal cortex, our more thoughtful Shen-based thinking uh, hostage. Mm-hmm. So we can be manipula- easily manipulated by fear sold cheap. Fear sold cheap. Fear sold cheap. You know, we can be made to be afraid of immigrants. We can made, be made to be afraid of people who are a different gender, who are non-gendered, who are um, a different color, a different race, a different nationality. We can be made to be afraid of a lot of things that really we don't have a necessity to be afraid of. And then we can be manipulated because we don't have our frontal cortex that's thoughtful and relational. We don't have it available to us. That social context that we've been talking about that can be so helpful, it's missing. That's right. And without that heart coherence resonance, it's hard to turn the system off. Well, good thing people can come in for acupuncture, um, you know, in a very <laughs> hands-on way, huh? It, it makes our work really critical to the future of our country, the future of our world, war and peace. I mean, it just makes our work very critical. Yeah. Any closing thoughts that you have that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, we have a very important gift to offer. And the more that you can experience, uh, cultivate your skills in recognizing traumatic stress and ways to help mitigate it and restore regulation, please make use of them so that we can do what our medicine is so very good at doing. Wonderful. Thank you so much for this conversation today. Yeah, I, I, can... at you. I just feel like I made a friend. <laughs> it's lovely to talk with you. 